Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We are an independent Formula One podcast that aims to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping this clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I've wrestled control back from Matt Trumpets and the tech nerds. I think you'll agree that Matt producing is the right thing to do. Look, I'm mostly in the way when they talk about their aero and everything anyway. Uh, I know Matt had a few audio issues, but uh, it was mostly solid. So bear with us while we get Matt's audio nailed down. He is very embarrassed about the burping. In his defense, he's normally on Skype to my show, so he just mutes Skype if he wants to do something like that. Of course, he completely forgot that he was the one recording the audio at his end. This issue has been addressed, and it won't happen again. We promise. But tonight, I'm joined in the shed again by Paddock Regular, Joe Saywood, and star of the recent Ted's notebook on Sky. Joe, how's it going? Very good. I didn't realise one could be a star on on Ted Kravitz's notebook, but there you are. We so. were very, very excited to see you there, Joe. And I was, I was sitting there going, "Oh my god, he's he's cheated on me. He's he's uh, patronising another stammering idiot behind my back on TV." Steady on. Ted won't be very impressed by that news. <laughs> oh, but you were so mean to him. All he did was ask you a simple question, and you were that stupid boy. Well, it was a dumb question, but the reason I did that was because uh, I'd been in deep conversation with Andy Palmer of Aston Martin, and Ted and his crew had started filming us uh-huh. without permission. And I didn't know if they got the audio on or not. So I, when I'd finished talking to Andy, I went to see Ted, and he was on air at the time, which is how it happened. So uh, I just wanted to say, oi, you, if that's got audio, drop it. <laughs> so you were actually just hunting him down, and then he took his opportunity to grab you. Yes, and then he asked the question about Aston Martin because he'd seen me talking to Andy Palmer 
who is, of course, the CEO of Aston Martin. I'm quite surprised you didn't say, you know, tune into, you know, GP Plus magazine to find out all the details of my conversation. I'm not that clever, you know. Anyway, <laughs> they would have they would have cut that out if I'd done that, I'm sure. So it's not live, you know, it's all recorded. Gasp. I am shocked. But I'm really curious now, having seen someone I've spoken to being jumped in the paddock, how does that work? Are you just wandering around constantly ready for people to grab you and have quick chats with you on various nations' TV feeds? Not really, but it happens occasionally. Um, Ted Ted does it from time to time. But actually, no, this time I I sought out Ted because I wanted to just check that he wasn't recording stuff he wasn't supposed to be hearing, you know. Oh, that's cool. So is there like a beef between you and Kravitz? You're like, oi, Kravitz. No, not at all. But I mean, I, you know, it's just it's just a sort of um, one has to be careful of cameras in the Formula One paddock because lots of people have them, and you know, you sometimes you'll find a camera being pointed at you, and you don't know if it's got volume on it or not. So I mean, I, I usually just say lots of rude words, but ah, and then they're forced um, to beep it. Well, in theory, they are, but um, no, it, it's just you know, particularly the the FOM television guys quite often are wandering around with cameras, and you don't know if their microphones are live or not. So, well, I tell you what, um, Will McAlpine is asking. I guess you're not telling us what the audio would have been of then, Joe. Because, of course, this is the big news that Aston Martin are going to be the title sponsor next year of Red Bull Racing. Yes, but, I mean, if you'd read me the JSBM newsletter, if I'm going to plug things, the Aston Martin-Red Bull connection was in about six weeks ago. And so so Andy and I go back a long time anyway, and quite a lot of years. Uh, and we were just having a chat about what's going on. And because um, there, there are various options ahead of them. I did have a, a, a conversation with a different um, Aston Martin executive, and I said, how are you getting on with the takeover of Red Bull racing? <laughs> and he said, well, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe Red Bull are taking over Aston Martin. Well, maybe the entity known as Red Bull these days might might be taking over Aston Martin. I did hear that Christian Horner was off looking for venture capital money because when Red Bull pulls out – um, maybe Christian Horner Racing or Arden Motorsport with Adrian Newey as a shareholder might be um, taking over the car company as well as the racing team. Who knows? There's lots of options because Aston Martin's not not the healthiest of car companies, which is why it's quite surprising that they are um, getting into Formula One in theory sponsorship. Um, yeah, they will have they will have the title sponsor name. But are they paying for it in the same way that a title sponsor would? Maybe they are from royalties on the cars, but maybe not. Maybe they're providing some sort of technical or racing support. Is that? No, no, no. I think that they might be providing a future. I see. So I'm trying to get this picture sort of clear in my head. So we'll have Aston Martin or Ardent Racing with no, Christopher. No, you, you could have, you could, well, if if just assume that Christian Horner is an ambitious young man like Enzo Ferrari used to be. Okay. Oh, but he is. Kristen's won lots of championships. He's only 12 years old still. And um, <laughs> he's married to a Spice Girl. He lives in a big house, I'm sure. Um, so he's got you know, things to do. Maybe he thought he'd go out to the markets and, and find himself a venture capitalist and um, buy the car company as well. I think that would be exciting. He's certainly now a real personality of F1 and certainly has all the ingredients and the pedigree and the experience to do such a thing. 
Um, yeah, he's. I mean, he's a he's an interesting player. He's 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 actually. Would you believe he is now the longest standing Formula One team principal who is active? Well, there I mean, you go. Because Frank Williams is still, in theory, mm, yes. the longest standing Formula One team principal, but he's not really active. So Christian is actually everybody else. If you go through all the teams, everybody else has gone. He is the oldest now. Well, not the oldest. He's the longest standing. Sorry. So he sort of came in with Whitmarsh and the like in that kind of. Well, area. he he came in about two thousand and six, maybe seven. I don't know, ten years ago, and um, everybody else has changed. He does. He also own a, a second tier team as well, or he helps run a second he owned, tier. Team. He owns Arden, yeah. right? Yeah. He originally owned Arden in the old days. It's a very long and twisted story, and it relates back to. Aston Martin things right back to the very beginning because his next door neighbor was David Richards and his racing team when he decided that he wasn't a very good racing driver he started his own racing team called Arden and he struggled along a little bit and then David Richards came along and said look I've got these Russians I don't really want as sponsors do you want to take them and that was called Luke Oil, and that's what set up Arden. That's absolutely fascinating. So yeah, that, that's that's exciting for the future. But the more immediate future, people are kind of a little confused because they're not going to be sticking an Aston Martin lump in the back, are they? Because don't Mercedes help with the production of, of their road car engines? Well, Aston Martin has a number of engine suppliers, at least two anyway. One is Cosworth and one is Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes has 5% of Aston Martin, which is an irrelevant percentage, but uh, they have it nonetheless. But uh, I don't think that they want to get involved any more than that. Well, it's, a it's a commercial deal. They're making money off selling engines. And it's, it's funny to see what the nature of this deal might be because Dominic Byrne in the chat room is saying, so it's Austin Martin Red Bull Racing Honda for 2019 then? Uh, not necessarily because the concept of it being a Honda engine was before the Aston Martin deal was done. So it doesn't make sense. Um, right now you have an Aston Martin Red Bull tag hire. They have an engine named after a watch, of course. Um, the word is that Renault doesn't want to supply them after the end of 18. And the tag hire deal comes to an end at the end of 18 at the moment. So who knows? I mean, maybe they'll just do a deal with Renault to get it for two more years, buy some old engines off them. I don't know what they're going to do, but um, I, I think it's a bit of a stretch to think that, that anybody would be able to build them an engine of their own before uh, 19, but it's possible. So are we facing a kind of situation that we've had to come to terms with with McLaren and them kind of descending into the midfield and beyond and having to fight their way back there? Are we just having to sort of face this new reality where the entity of Red Bull is no longer one of the premier F1 teams and it's going to just become, not just, but be a privateer team that's going to struggle to to have glories on the podium every now and then? Not necessarily, because it depends on money, really. Um most of the problems, I mean, there are problems which are not solved by money, which are like the Honda problem at McLaren. But if you have a competent engine builder and you have a different set of regulations, remember, we've got new regulations coming. So if you have a competent engine builder and a, and a set of regulations that restrict the importance of money in the performance of the engine, 
then you can have a lot of people who come in at different with different machinery call different things maybe it's the same machinery maybe it's not but you know you can have porsche coming in you can have mercedes still in you can have renault in you can have honda in you can have ferrari in you can have alfa romeo aston martin did i say porsche already i you can't did. remember yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but but you can also have mclaren with their own engine you can have red bull with effectively their own engine because it wouldn't be called red bull anyway by then and in all these shuffles that we've had we've had obviously a bit of uh driver confirmation but it's been the most excitement has been around these engine changes obviously the biggest ones have been mclaren taking on renault and then it feels like toro rosso almost out of nowhere although we did hear stuff you know at the beginning of the season have ended up taking the bullet that sauber dodged in my opinion and it it feels like this could be real trouble for toro rosso can can the team well, hang on hang on hang on hang on hang on you're making an assumption here yes i am your assumption is that the honda engine will never be any good you're talking about the engine that finished in the top 10 last weekend in singapore actually more than in the top 10 you're talking about honda which is a major motor company so um i think it's a little bit harsh to say that and i also think that, that sauber was entirely daft to do what they did all they did by getting rid of honda was become a satellite Ferrari team. Where they could um, have effectively been the works team next season. They, but, they could have been the works team. And what did they have to lose? They were, they were going to finish last this year with a Honda engine. If they weren't last, they'd improved. So, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who was sitting oh, and here thinking... I forgot to mention the pile of money that comes with the Honda engines. Absolutely. And I'm sure that it was not a tiny factor in Toro Rosso making that decision. But I can't be the only one sitting here thinking... Well, we haven't seen any evidence of Honda, despite their name and heritage. We haven't seen any evidence of them producing power or that they're just about to turn a corner. Indeed, were they just about to turn a corner, surely McLaren would have picked up on this and, and not ended the relationship. Yeah, but you're missing a, a key point. That's here, likely. Which is, <laughs> which is there are certain teams who don't fundamentally care about performance because if you're last it doesn't matter what engine you have in the back and if you're saving a pile of money or making a pile of money therefore you are a stronger team so sauber by running off maybe they get a deal because they're going to run two ferrari uh drivers next year and maybe they would have to pay for the hondas who knows but the fact is that if you're the only honda team or you're the third ferrari supply what difference is it you're never going to win a race as a third a third Ferrari team. You're just not. History proves this. You know, a second Ferrari team has only won a race once. Some people will argue that in 1961 that, you know, somebody else did it. But the fact is that the Toro Rosso of Sebastian Vettel at Monza on a day when the McLaren drivers screwed up completely was the only person ever to win a race in a, in a, in a customer Ferrari. So you are quite optimistic about, you know, Toro Rosso's chances, or at least you're saying it's a shot to nothing. Well, what have they got to lose with a, with a, what they have now? So you might as well try something different. And if it comes good, it comes good. Excellent, Joe. Uh, obviously, you were there at Singapore. Were you anywhere near turn one? Uh, well, I was halfway down the pit straight as normal. So no, I wasn't anywhere near turn one, but it was... There was a certain amount of excitement in the world around me when this all happened. It, it must have been an amazing one to be in the stands for. I think, you know, I was saying on the race review that these this is one of those historic 
moments that will appear in clip shows and highlight shows forevermore that was Spa 1998. It was uh, Barcelona 2016. So just to see it in real life must have been epic. I'm just trying to remember what those things were. Um, <laughs> Come on, it quicker. Was, <laughs> it, it was very, very... Um, well, if you didn't like Ferrari, it was very amusing. Um, which, believe me, there's a lot of people who don't, oddly. Um, I, I just couldn't actually believe my eyes that they had done something so completely insane. I was actually a little bit sad uh, in lots of ways because in their total incompetence, they did manage to take out Max Verstappen twice and and also then take out Alonso, who was going around the outside of everything and would have ended up second if he'd actually got through all the mayhem, which is an interesting concept. Um, uh, McLaren in second place is all quite shocking. But um, where would it have ended at the end of the afternoon? We don't know that. But Alonso sort of said that he reckoned he could have stayed on the podium if he'd made it around the first corner. You know, yeah, of course he could. The fish was this big that got away. You know, it was huge. But there you are. You know, it was a, it was a, in a way it, ru- it ruined the race and in a way it made yeah. the race. But, but at the same time, you know, there was still a, it was a good tense race because Lewis still had to, t- you know, sort of hang on. And was he a happy boy at the end of it all? Wow. And uh, he wasn't really even like, you know, whooping and cheering. It was just almost, you could hear the disbelief in his voice that, that it had just been handed to him like that. Well, he's just a big smiley on legs, to be honest. That's what he was. Um, because he realized that not only had they messed up, but from the world championship point of view, he's got to seriously have things go wrong now to lose. Yeah, he was um, making comments in an interview somewhere that we've seen some of Sebastian Vettel's weaknesses, uh, probably referring to, you know, Baku losing it there, getting a drive-through penalty, costing him the win, costing uh, what everyone thought was a win here in Singapore. And I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the Ferrari garage uh, that evening because, boy, did Vettel sound apologetic after he'd spun out. It was really like, I'm I'm really sorry, guys. I'm really sorry. There was no anger. There was none of this. He hit me. He hit me. You know, no blaming Max Verstappen. No, there was some Muppet in the uh, in the Ferrari tweeter department or whatever oh, it's called yes. who tried to blame Verstappen, but I think he had his head removed from his shoulders quite rapidly, which actually I'm a great believer in doing that to the whole of the Ferrari communication department who are completely useless. But there you are. That's another story. Well, I mean, you, it's, a, it's a relevant if you want If you want people on your side, you have to learn to talk to them first. So we'd hardly see uh, uh, the Ferrari principal. On interviews, we rarely hear anything from them in and around well, the I, race weekend. I believe that uh, Ted Kravitz and Mark Webb are both on air, sort of wandered past Ferrari and said, well, we're not allowed to talk to them. Yeah, wow. Stuff. Now people are getting fed up with it. Um, I'm fed up with it already. I just think they're idiots. But, you know, they probably think they're not, which is why they're paid the big bucks, you know. But I'm afraid that Maurizio Riva Benny's got his bum hanging out of his trousers, as far as I'm concerned, because he ain't going to win the world championship. No, I mean, you can kind of blame the drivers, though, on this occasion. No, you can't. He's the team principal. You take the bullet. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, do, do you think there'll be repercussions for Vettel? if he was deemed to have caused that because you know i'm wondering like what's his position like at ferrari is he is he bulletproof is he beyond being dropped they love him beyond compare no no that he's beyond being dropped but but the other laws aren't so um i don't know i just the whole thing seems to be a as an emperor and a bunch of lackeys running around behind him to be honest i think the technical guys are doing a terrific job 
but I think from a marketing point of view, Ferrari is a disaster. So do you, do you mean like it's hurting the actual, the larger Ferrari brand as well? No, nothing's going to hurt the Ferrari brand because there's always people with gold chains and too much money and who want to go buy a Ferrari and, you know, loads of money and show off to their friends that they're, you know, well, you know, they're, they're newly made people. But um, no, I just think it, 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 if people don't like you because you're not helpful, um, what good does it do you? Okay, if you have the Italian press like a like, like a bunch of baying hounds on your tail all the time, that's one thing I can understand that. But you know, at least you, you don't have to block the entire press corps, all the television. They block everybody. They won't talk to anybody. It's just insanity. Is there- it, it's a it's a communication business. I don't know if anyone's told them this, but Formula <laughs> One is a communication business. This is what they're in. They think they're there selling cars, but they're not. They're communicating, and the communication results in them selling cars. They're fortunate, as because as I said, there's lots of rich people who think Ferraris, you know, give them a bigger chest or something like that. But mm. um, you know, Ferrari's just a car. I'm glad you said chest. Thanks, Joe. Don't uh- worry, I was going to say something else, but I thought it's a family show uh ask your ask your young uncles kids they'll they'll explain everything to you uh but the chat room is suggesting you know who would you replace vettel with if you did want to get rid of him uh daniel ricciardo people are suggesting they're not going to get rid of sebastian vettel is there nothing he could do so anything he does will be completely well i suppose if he took his trousers off and ran naked around marinello molesting little old ladies yes perhaps he would but uh i don't think that's going to happen really Ask your creepy uncle about that one, kids. Okay, so um, Mercedes then. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, like you said, he's walking around like a big smiley thing. He's absolutely full of confidence. Uh, of course, he was full of confidence before his engine blew well, up went, last year he, in Malaysia he, as well. He then went, he went to some fashion <laughs> week and was wearing the most hideous clothing. So you know, he's obviously not entirely sensible still, but he's, you know, nonetheless, he's quite happy. Well, I, mean, I think that's pretty standard, though, for Lewis Hamilton now. Uh, but no, th- th- this was even bad taste for him, I have to say. You obviously don't fancy it. Uh, follow him on Instagram, Joe. <laughs> no, I don't. Fa- I don't follow him on Instagram. This is true, yes. But uh, um, let him let him lead his life. I say he does a fine job racing driving, and what do we care what he does in his spare time? Apart from the fact that what he was wearing in that particular case was hideous. But there you are. Uh, well, I'll, I'll agree with you to a point because I'm a huge Lewis Hamilton fan, but he is also a dog parent where he calls his dog his children and refers to himself as daddy when when talking about his dogs. And to me, that's nearly enough to stop being a Lewis Hamilton fan. Whatever turns him on, I suppose. But uh, I suppose one day he'll have little kiddies of his own, then things will be different. Absolutely. So um, speaking of his future then, uh, what, what do you sort of hear long term? Because everyone loves to jump on any time he says something about his retirement or he's going to go for Schumacher's seven titles or something. He's he's staying around, isn't he? I know he has his little ups and downs and his moods, and he says, you know, maybe I've had mm, enough. He has he has fewer he has fewer ups and downs these days than he used to. He's much more solid. I can't see him stopping until he ceases to enjoy it, and he clearly enjoys it now. And he's the best, you know. I know that the Vettel fans will get upset to hear that, but he is the best. I read the comments on your blog when you post the podcast link. Well, I mean, basically, whichever driver you praise, you get called bias, but particularly with Lewis Hamilton. Well, it's, it's whatever you do, you get called bias. I get called bias all the time, which kind of annoys me, but I don't let it annoy me because otherwise people would do it more because it annoys me. So, do you want me you know, to edit so, that out? Do you want to- <laughs> no, 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 because basically, you know, 
what people don't understand is that calling a journalist biased is like insulting them. And now if you want to insult me, that's fine. But at least have some basis for doing it. You know, people say, well, you support Lewis Hamilton. This is with their mouth open because they have to breathe through it. Um, <laughs> you, you support Lewis Hamilton because you're English. Well, yes, I am English or used to be, but I've lived in France for 25 years. So how does that work? You know, I'm a European. I'm sorry that Brexit has messed that up, but I am a European. Um, so for the mouth breathers out there, don't bother calling me biased. Yes. I mean, actually, they probably wouldn't have found this because that involves, you know, typing more than three um, keyboards, keyboard thingamabobs. What do they call them? Keys at the same time. So they there are we are. Keys. Well, for the non-mouth breathers among you, go to <laughs> www.mistapexpodcast.com to find all the audio and video that we put out on Missed Apex Podcast. And you can find us at Missed Apex F1 to find out when we're going to go live. Uh, Joe, uh, you do a magazine that people can subscribe to. That is called GP Plus magazine. Uh, I presume you're still doing that. Yes, I am indeed. Yes. And I am one of a team. It's not my own magazine. I do have my own magazine. It's called JSBM Newsletter. Uh-huh. And it's the really good stuff I don't put on anywhere. So you have to pay for that. But, you know, there is a point at which one gets bored of giving away all the best stuff. So on the blog, you get a lot of good stuff. The really good stuff is in the JSBM Newsletter. And Grand Prix Plus is a magazine that comes out six hours after each race with the whole story of the race and lots of interesting features and knowledge, things that people with open mouths don't necessarily get. That's hilarious. Uh, I love that. Uh, So, yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. A journalist should be impartial and unbiased. I'm a podcaster, not a journalist. Hashtag 44. Four championships, baby. Okay, but let's talk about Mercedes because to win more championships, he's going to need that's, the car. That's terribly, terribly biased, I have to say. Oh, but no. How did you find out, Joe? You found out my deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> oh, there's nothing There's nothing wrong. If, you are, if you're not pretending to be a journalist, that's fine. Yeah, no, but I've always um, supported the British drivers, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's, well, I think that's there, an okay thing to do. Yeah. I just think as a journalist, you should you can you can have your you can have your secret favourites, but you shouldn't that shouldn't come across. I mean, I I can tell you that I watch races, and when certain drivers go out, I go, oh, but I don't tell people who those drivers are, because it's you know I'm a journalist. My job is to tell them what happens. So, you know, I rate certain drivers, which is not the same as liking them. You know, I think some of them are better than others, and I make those points based on. What I think is fact. Other people have alternative facts, obviously. Um, statistics are not always the right answer. Usually they are, but not always. You know, there's lots of there's lots of ways that one can argue these things, and I end up arguing most of them. So, anyway, it's you know, it's a matter of you do what you think is best, and that's uh, as long as you keep doing that, you're a journalist. We we do have uh, many journalists appear here, not of your stature, Joe, but we have we have a young autosport journalist called Chris Stevens uh, who comes on here, and you can see he's in that same mode and mindset as you because we poke and prod him, trying to get him to like make a, a divisive you know statement or really just lay his sand in the ground on an issue, and he's always very political and he's trying to be you know you know smooth and uh, but we no, just but we don't let him get away what, with it. That's 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 what our job is. And people misunderstand that. You know, if I if I go after Jean Todd and tell him he has a weak decision, he takes it as a personal attack. It's not. It's just because I happen to think that he made a weak decision. And that's my job as a journalist to do that. Now, I will praise him if he does good things. 
within the motor racing fraternity you know i yeah i for example i don't believe that road safety's got anything to do with motor racing and i think the halo is not good for the sport i understand why he did it and i understand his paranoias about legal actions against racing drivers families who are taking legal action against you but motorsport is about dangerous things you've got to be heroes and that's what people forget if you're not heroes you lose a lot of people who follow absolutely we just try and get chris stevens fired from motorsport that's just that's our motivation we just mean don't don't worry they'll probably (laughs) take care of the whole problem before too long by overstretching with the whole motorsport network thing it it owns everything in the world now including chessington zoo i think but um you know they they i don't know how long it'll last costs an awful lot of money to keep empires going well it's worth mentioning that missed apex podcast is available for sale and i will (laughs) cash in all my morals for a reasonable amount of money uh shout out to the chat room who found us by going to missed apex podcast uh, forward slash live stream and clicking the YouTube link click subscribe and the little bell and you can join us in the live stream like Dominic Byrne who's pointed out that actually Hamilton is a vegan dog parent uh, and uh, James Funnel saying Joe wins comment of the week for mouth breathers I'm sure uh, Joshua Clare saying Spanish it's not a secret yes I know it's not that was the joke uh, and also in there is there an alternative universe where Ericsson is good random and obviously not, no. Uh, okay, so... Hold, hold on just a minute. <laughs> I knew it! Yes! Ericsson is no fool. He's not as good as Pascal Verlaine, and he's not as good as some of the others, quite a lot of the others, but that doesn't make him bad. People jump on the case of drivers at the back end. They say Jolian Palmer's no good. They say this, they say that. These guys are all good, and we should have some respect for them because they are Grand Prix drivers, and we're not. And they got there largely through their own talent. There is a huge amount of talent all the way through motor racing. So don't you know? It's not the days in the old days. We we did have some some fairly sizable onanists and kids. You can look that one up if you can spell it. Um, who got through to Formula One? But you know they were not. They should never have got through. But in that era, you could do it. Nowadays, you can't. Even if you've got loads of money, you've got to be talented as well. So Marcus is a talented guy now. He's not as talented as Pascal, but that's another story. Okay, well, I kind of get where you're coming from, but in the Premiership, you could argue that all those teams are really, really good to get to the Premiership. But if you ask me... How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. My opinion on West Ham, I will give it to you in detail. More detail is exponentially increased with the amount of pints I have, uh, maybe even the square of the, the amount of pints I have. So, you I, know, are you are you a West Ham supporter? Is that what you're trying to say? I'm trying to say the opposite of that, Joseph. Okay, I don't know enough about football. All I know <laughs> is that West Ham beat Fulham in the 1970 whatever it was well uh, FI Cup final I was very upset because I lived in Fulham at the time so I'd never been a West Ham fan and they sang a really bad song about bubbles as well ah whatever West Ham up the use anyway so if Lewis Hamilton is going to win more world championships he needs a really good car underneath him because obviously as we've seen if you put Fernando Alonso in a car that's not competitive he can he can drive the back end off it but he's never going to be right up the front is is Mercedes in it for the long term? Because for for recent fans who are not as old as some people, um, you know, including me, Red Bull will have been a stalwart of of Formula One for them already. Twenty five year olds will have known Red Bull there being a foundation of their Formula One fandom, and now it looks like they're drifting away. So, are we also going to see Mercedes drifting away and losing interest, or you know, what happens when they stop dominating? Well, it, the, the, there are cycles in all these things. You know, I grew up when Williams and McLaren were the big teams, and now I look at it, and they're not there anymore. I grew up when Brabham was still around, and Brabham was a great team. If they are badly run or do not have the right things, they fail. If they fail, they disappear. Um, and I think that Mercedes will go on being successful as long as they keep funding it all right and keep the right people and keep the right motivations. There may come a day when they decide to quit. But then you also need to look at their sales uh, of silver cars particularly um, and of AMG cars, and they're absolutely unbelievable growth they've had. From Formula years. One. Who knows? Can you prove it? Um, the old thing about you know win on Sunday, sell on Monday may be or may not be true. But there's certainly a link between the two um, in that people want to be associated with success. Now, Red Bull went through a particular phase where they were able to win um, without a works engine. But, you know, if Renault hadn't been caught cheating in 2009. Oh, no, it's not allegedly, is it? No, they did. That's, yeah. It's not yeah. allegedly because yeah, no, they, they admitted it. Just checking. It. Yeah. Um, Peter Wright you know, keeps us. <laughs> I've I've been through this a few times myself. Um, they were caught cheating and they left. As a result of it, they didn't have a works team anymore, which gave the works status to Red Bull, which is why Red Bull won all those championships. So there was an element of good fortune in that as well, which you have to remember. So, yeah, the chat room saying Mercedes look like a pretty slick operation from the outside. I mean, they certainly throw cash and manpower out of it. And the more 
engine, money you throw at it, the more people you can have, and you can just process your way out of problems. And that looks like that's what Mercedes does. Well, yes, but so does so does Ferrari, you know, and and so does Red Bull to a large extent. Um, I think the the other thing you can do is you can go up every avenue of research and development that the that the smaller teams can't do. They can't afford to go and look at every single thing. They have to choose their targets. And if you're choosing things, you're probably going to miss little things that the others will get. Now, the, the skill is to get it down to being not about money. Uh, Formula One's always been about money to some extent, but it's also about you know, cleverness. And what you want to do is negate the money to a large extent and, and have cleverness as being an important factor. I mean, uh, Force India as a points per dollar spent uh, is pr- are probably the world champions, I should think. And is it possible for someone in this era to come along with a, a double diffuser or a six-wheeled car and just suddenly just innovate their way to the front of the grid, do you think? Well, you can't do it with a six-wheeled car because it's against the rules. But, but you could do it with a, a clever bit of aero, yeah. Like a I double-decker might... rear wing or one of those weird front wings that they ran in Monaco with the high T-bars at the front? Well, the thing is that so much is now legislated that there's very little margin for maneuver for engineers which is sad because you want them to be you want them to be sort of looking around and doing stuff so um it's a hard one excellent um okay so you're talking about you know the teams that were your your big teams when you were in your i don't know i don't want to say in your heyday jokes you're still very much in your heyday when you were younger what's a polite way to dig myself out of this in my youth you can (laughs) say your youth phew thank you very much joe um williams and uh obviously they're they're one of the big players left that have got a seat available for next season and when i asked have people got questions for joe it was williams 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 we've got probably three main protagonists for that seat so firstly who's got the biggest chance and is it a seat you want well, if you're a racing driver, any seat in Formula One is yes. what you want. So um, it's not a seat that, that Fernando Alonso necessarily wants or, or even Sergio Perez. But if you offered that seat to Pascal Verlaine, he would rip the seams off it to get his hands on it. He can't, however, because they need a 25-year-old. So it seems at the moment they're down to the dear old beloved stage of Felipe Massa, who's you know, now going to be drawing his pension fairly soon, um, and who has not really been a match for Lance Stroll, which means that he's not quick enough uh, anymore. As much as I love Felipe, and he's a super bloke, um, I don't think he's quick enough anymore. Robert Kubica... <laughs> maybe he was a great driver in his day, but he smashed himself up pretty conclusively. If you actually get to see him, his, his arm is a big old mess. Yes. I mean, I, I was quite shocked uh, when I saw that. And and when you see him climbing in and out of the car um, in that hungry test, he's not using that arm to help him get in. He cradles that arm. No, no, he, he he'd, be a, he'd, be a, he'd be a one-armed driver, to be honest. Uh, now, is that something that will work for you? Maybe, maybe not. But if he was so good, how come Renault aren't taking him? And you called that, Joe. You said that right from the beginning when they were speculating. You said Renault are, are being nice. Renault are, are giving him, you know, days out and exposure. But you didn't see that as a realistic option. No, I didn't. And to be fair, I don't know. The thing about Williams is who's making the decisions. And, you know, because they've made some some poor decisions as well, I have to say, over the years. And uh, 
and I think that what they really need more than anything else is, I mean, obviously they needed financial stability and strolls a sort of good option for that. But you've got to have a really quick driver in the other car if you're going to have Lance. I mean, Lance is good. Is he world championship level? That's another question. But you've got to have some real class driver there or whatever you can get. Now, Felipe is was a class driver in his day. Um, Kubica was a class driver in his day. Uh, who's the third one in the picture? I can't well, even well, remember. People are, are talking about the Scott Paul Deresta oh, as an option. That, that's that's just not even conceivable in my book. Don't break our hearts. We like no, Paul. no. Well, I like Paul as well, but I just don't think I don't think that's a really a sensible option. I would if I if it was me, I'd take Jolian Palmer because he's the best all round option they've got with experience. Okay, he doesn't have he does have money actually, or money will follow him. But you know, he's not that bad and he's had a bad year. He's been very unlucky. But you've got to look at who's available and you've got to have somebody over twenty five. If it was if there was no twenty five thing, I'd get Verlaine in a flash. So yesterday we had on Matthew Summerfield, who's uh, a technical writer for motorsport.com, and he was taking us through the upgrades. He obviously follows the technical upgrade path, and he's saying, I'll do it in his voice, obviously, well, you've got to understand that Palmer never got the right upgrades at the same time. And he was actually laying out that actually Palmer's been up against it, and when you've seen the gaps in qualifying, you've got to kind of give a little bit of slack because the out-and-out performance is with, say, for example, a new floor that Hulkenberg had for two races earlier. Yeah, but you've also got to bear in mind how good Hulkenberg is. You know, if you're going up against Hulkenberg and you can get quite close to him, you're doing pretty well. It's it's clear that, you know, you're not talking about Jolian as being the next Fernando Alonso or the next Lewis Hamilton, but he's but he's a good racing driver. He won he won the GP two championship. You don't do that unless you're good. So as an interim measure for a couple of years, as a Brit, as a good-looking guy, as da di da da all these things that they could use him for, I see him as a much more sensible choice than any of the others. Well, he's certainly, he's got all the raw ingredients. Like you say, he's easy on the camera. He's a, a charming, rich young man. And I bet that if he could pull a few results together, just like at the end of last season, the media would rally around him. People would rally around him. He's the, probably the sort of champion the British racing driver people want. So there'll be a lot of goodwill. Oh, but just think back to the days when Damon Hill got a Williams. Now, Damon Hill had no great reputation at that time. Um, but he did good work for them, and they appreciated that. David Coulthard was a complete rookie, but he did good work for them. They gave him a chance. Nigel Mansell was pretty much not written off, but he was on the downward slide when he joined Williams. So, you know, don't knock it. The thing is, Williams' fundamental problem is not about drivers. It doesn't help that they are where they are. Their fundamental problem is building a good car. They have a Mercedes engines, and they're not doing the job. Yeah, against Force India, let alone, let alone Mercedes. They should be up there challenging Mercedes. What happens is, what happened is that in 2014 they had a decent car, and it was quite close to Mercedes. It actually took pole position on occasion, but it's gone downhill ever since. Why is that? And how can it get fixed? They need to change. They need to change some people, some things. And if it's not, you know, you can change the aero team five times. Williams have done it in the past. But maybe you've got to look also at who's who's calling the targets. Because if you have five sets of aerodynamicists who don't work, it's the person making the targets who's getting it wrong, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's unlikely that you've picked five bad batches of Aero Team, I think, is what you're getting. And someone asked me the same question about why they were so dominant in 2014. Was that perhaps a little bit helped by Mercedes having an even bigger gap? And weren't they fully exploiting the engine gap by just saying, right, we're just going to make a rocket ship have very slippery, no Aero, and we're just going to do like 14 rocket launches a lap and see where that gets us? I don't know what I don't know really the details. All I know is that from fourteen onwards they've gone backwards. Yeah, they have. and they've done and, and they've done it statistically as well as in in perception terms. So is that to do with leadership? Is that to do with technical leadership? Is it to do with the people caring? There's lots of questions you have to ask. And um, speaking of questions, I want to ask you. You left two loose threads dangling about five minutes ago that I've got to get to. You said, well, well, who's calling the shots at Williams and you said it all cryptically as if like clever people would know I'm not one of them Joe who is calling the shots at Williams that may be the problem oh don't I'm honestly just (laughs) talk to me as you would a child (laughs) no no that may be the problem we don't know who's calling the shots or the people calling the shots don't know enough about racing you know that's a very good question is Paddy Lowe calling the shots is Claire Williams is it Somebody else. We don't know. And, and you know, that's what you have to – great racing teams have a strong leader. All of them have a strong leader. And if you don't have a strong leader who's dragging the thing forward, you don't have – people – if you have a team boss who walks into the workshop and some people in the workshop aren't frightened a little bit by him being – him or her being there, there's something wrong. Because you know, team bosses need to be a little bit feared. They need to be getting people to work at their very best. They don't want comfortable people. You don't want people who are happy to go home at, at 5.34 every afternoon. Um, so we've got loads of Williams fans that obviously listen here, and everyone's looking for a glint of hope. So in the chat room, they're saying, I was expecting to see, this is Joshua, more of an impact from Paddy Lowe by this point, unless Williams have already put all their eggs into the 2018 basket. And I think that's the big hope, that they've seen it coming early. Uh, They've got their Lance Stroll money, and they've gone, all right, Paddy, you concentrate on 2018 and let us, you know, just try and have this battle with Force India for now, for this season. Yeah, it's fair enough. But the only answer to that question is we have to wait and see. You know, I'm not seeing an awful lot of movement in the staff. There's new people came in. Some old people went away. But am I seeing enough of that to make me think, Okay, this thing's on the move. Well, you I don't have, know. You I don't have... know, but, but you know, sometimes you just have to wait to see the result. You can't, you can't judge it until you see it. Now, if Paddy Lowe's the be-all and end-all, logically, next year's car will be a rocket ship. Well, if you can have that hope in Honda, I can have this hope in Williams, surely, Joe. Yeah. Listen, and... I'm, I'm a huge fan of Williams, always have been. Uh, and, I, and it pains me to see them in this kind of mess. But, you know, that's something... That only they can fix, and time will tell. Absolutely. And are you willing, because you said you'd seen some pretty bad decisions at Williams over the years, are you willing to give us your favourite example of such a bad decision? Yes. Taking on Nakajima as a driver because Toyota wanted it. That was not clever. Excellent. Great fun. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. You've been generous with your with your time as always. Uh, I would like to get a couple of a couple of little points out of you, though, because what are you making out of this simmering apparent beef between Haas and Renault? We hear the drivers kind of making these little snipes at each other, little things being given away on the team radio. And then you've got Gene Haas uh, making a statement about, yeah, Renault are 
doing okay, but they've got a long way to go. And they're, oh yeah, they're beating us, big achievement. They're not beating the big boys. They just seem to be sort of shade being thrown. And I just wondered if you knew anything Mm. about where that beef's coming from. I think it comes from an on-track problem between Grosjean and Hulkenberg, actually. There's, There's been a bit of needle there. And I think that's drifted down into the teams a little bit. You know, Haas is, a, Haas is right. They're in their second year. And Renault is a long-established team. Okay, they needed to rebuild and it was a big mess left over from the Lopez gang of lunatics who were running it. And, you know, they completely damaged it. So, you know, you could say quite rightly that Renault should be doing a lot better than they are. But then again, their budget's probably not as good as Haas's. Everyone thinks because they're a manufacturer, they have a big budget, but they don't necessarily. Well, you say they don't necessarily. Is not Is that down to what they're able to put in or what they're willing to put in? Well, it's down to what their top management is willing to give them. Whereas in Haas's case, Haas can just you know, look into his rather big piggy bank and just pull out some more if he wants to. Uh, Although he, he has to fund a NASCAR team as well. He's got four-car NASCAR team, two of the cars at the moment needing funding. So. so I'm a bit ignorant on Gene Haas's personal wealth. Is he like yes, Lance Stroll, he, he, billionaire type? or? Uh, he's certainly up in that level. I'm not sure if he's bigger than Stroll. There are lots of people in the world bigger than Stroll. Stroll's not that rich. Not Mr. round Latif- here, there's not. Mr. <laughs> well, not around my place either, but um, Mr. Latifi, father of the Formula 2 driver, Nicholas Latifi, is worth a great deal more money than Mr. Stroll is. Um, and you know, there's plenty of people around with plenty of cash. So Gene Haas, then for him, it's kind of okay. So it's obviously a, a, a passion of his. He wants to get into Formula One. Is it the kind of thing where if they start creeping up and giving success, then he'll add more value to what he'll he, he's going to put in, or do you see him? This is a bit of a splash and dash. I think his thinking was that he'd go racing and sell more machine tools around the world. I'm not sure whether or not that's. Uh, achieving its goals or not. I have to ask him. I don't think he likes traveling as much. NASCAR is quite easy. You know, you just, uh-huh. you, know, you only have to fly short distances. So we don't see him as many races as perhaps we ought to. Um, and one has to ask the question, he's on a three-year program. Is he going to fund it after the third year? We'll see. But having said that, you know, he's built a very successful team, mainly thanks to Gunter Steiner, um, who is a super bloke. Um, very down to earth, very sensible, very uh, straight speaking. Um, and you have to say they've done a terrific job. Now they've used Ferrari to do that and they've paid Ferrari a lot of money, but that's clever. So, so obviously Gene Hassey's not a shy bloke and, and that seems to have permeated. A lot of the teams are very reserved, yet they seem... No, I, I don't agree with that. I, actually, I think Gene Hassey's a very shy bloke, funnily enough, but uh, he's not very open by nature. Right, right. I see. He's he's, a, he's an engineering type. He's you know he sort of stares off into the middle distance from time to time. And you can't communicate with him. You know this kind of thing. A warrior poet. Something. Well, I'll take your word for it. I call it an, an engineer. You know, bonker, bon, bonkers type. You know. So you must be getting ready then to pack your bags and head off to Malaysia for the last time. And I lobbied my wife. I said. Do you mind if I just spend £1,000 to fly to Malaysia, sit at turn one in the K-stand because it's going away? And uh, she just she sent me an emoji, the one with just the tears crying from the eyes emoji. And, and that was it. That was the last communication of the day. So I'm not going. Uh, but are you sad that this is your last Malaysian Grand Prix? 
pillage the bank account, I say. <laughs> leave her behind for the weekend with a little note on the fireplace saying, you can look after the kids, dear. I may have to leave her for a bit longer if I do that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what Formula One's all about, I think. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's sad. It's, we've, been there, we've been going there for 18 years, and it's a nice place. They're nice people. They don't really fit in with the modern ethos of Formula One. They haven't developed into the motor sport um, valley of Asia that they were planning to do. There are bigger and stronger nations. They, the nation itself has, has sort of drifted into away from the goals of the great leader, Mahathir Mohammed, who incidentally, I don't know if you saw, I wrote today, is standing for election to come back to power at the age of 92 because he's so pissed off with the people who took over from him. Good for him. Absolutely. And definitely go find Joe Bloggs F1, where you kind of, you know, you laid out a little bit about the, the history of F1 uh, going to uh, to Asia and that being spearheaded by the Malaysian Grand Prix. Uh, absolutely epic for some old dude to go, nope, this is not the way I want it. Vote for me again. I, I imagine he would be like a one policy type guy, come in, make the change and then stand down. Oh, no, he did. I mean, he created the modern Malaysia, which is remarkable. Unfortunately, he couldn't stay on as the leader because they thought he was too old. But the people who took over him just messed it up. I mean, Malaysia is an amazingly interesting place. They have built these incredible cities. They've built incredible industries they never had before. It was all oil palms beforehand. You know, it was what he did is remarkable. He's a very remarkable human being. Um, but, you know, sometimes you have to leave office. So he's just coming back saying, I'm not doing this. To hell with this lot. I'm going to go on till I go down fighting. Philip Allen in the chat room there is saying, yes, Malaysia's a great circuit. Bit hot and sticky, mind. Are you, oh, are you one who likes these hot climbs? Do I look like a bloke who likes hot climbs? Yeah, no, I get sweaty. And it's it's hard work, Malaysia. It really is tough because it is... What are you doing? You should try a bit of this uh, <laughs> face powder I use for the live stream, Joe. It makes you look less sweaty. Oh, That's a top take... tip. It's called Collections Pressed Powder. I'll send you a batch. Yeah, great. Yeah, I don't have, I don't have anybody sort of pampering me. It's quite fun when you do do television. They come and these ladies come in rushing in in the commercial breaks and pamper you. But um, I'm afraid we don't have commercial breaks. Incidentally, why don't we have commercial breaks? Somebody out there, give us some money for doing this genius show. I'm on it. Email spannersready at gmail.com. Uh, Joe, um, uh, so people saying that the, the stands are empty when they go there. Does that mean it's not financially viable? Is that is that why it's coming? No, it's, it's not financially viable because it, it used to survive on a lot of people coming up from Singapore. Then the Singapore Grand Prix came along and really damaged it. They're too close together. They're only about 500 miles apart or something. Um, and it's just, you know, the country's changed and, and it's just sad in a way. Because, but it was a nice place to go and we'll miss it. But, you know, we'll move on. We've always moved on. We've often gone to some pretty horrid places and we forget them over time. So That's true. Who do you fancy then? Who do you fancy in the Malaysian Grand Prix? Oh, I think you've got to say it's a, it's a bit of a half and half track, but I believe the chances of rain is like 80% on Saturday or Sunday, but you never know with weather forecasters. I mean, now there's a job where you can't go wrong. You get paid loads of money for getting it wrong every time. It's a funny it's, thing, isn't it? Because if it rained every race, Formula One would just be not a really very good sport at all. But the fact that you've got this... It'd be of... great racing, though. <laughs> they could probably do with you know losing a bit of traction, and you do see a different kind of driver come to the, the forefront. But if it was always raining, you would just get guys who are really good at 
planting it and keep sticking it. But now what you've got is basically dry weather specialists and then you mix it up and you have a different event and, and it mixes up the grid beautifully. Maybe, but I think you'd still, the, the best guys are still the best guys. So, you know, in the wet, you might see Max Verstappen coming forward. You'd see Vettel, you'd see Alonso, you'd see Hamilton. Dan Dicciardo too, probably, you know. Um, but they're not all, you know, they're not all experts in the wet. And the wet is all about, they always say that the wet gives you the true Im- indication of talent, um, which is an interesting way of looking at it. But, uh, you know, they used to say that Caracciola was the rain master. And if you look at what he achieved in the rain, yes, it's pretty spectacular. But um, basically, great drivers do well in the wet because, you know, they have to use their car control more. Absolutely. And speaking of great drivers, the chat room is bugging me to ask you about Ocon. He's got another season with Sergio Perez. Uh, That's that's a blinder, that potentially. That could make his reputation cemented next year when he probably, according to to most pundits at the moment, you know, ends up taking him to the cleaners in 2018. Well, yeah, I don't think, I think that Sergio was hoping to go to Renault and got a little bit caught out. Certainly I expected that to happen. Um, I think he expected it to happen. And I think he's now stuck in a situation where he has to say, well, what the hell? I'm just going to have to fight Ocon. I don't think he minds fighting Ocon, but whether he can beat him mm. over the long term is is a question we have to wait and see. I really like Perez. I've been waiting for him to get his big break in a top team for ages. And I think it might have just come, you know, too late. Maybe he's well, peaked already. I hate, I hate to remind you, but he did have his big break in a big team and he blew it. Yeah, but against the amazing Jensen Button. Exactly my point. <laughs> yeah, no, all right. You know, fair enough. Yeah, and and you'd be lucky to get two big shots like that. And maybe he's just on the downward curve and he's just a marker in Ocon's story now. And that's just no, I, I, I think he just did too much too soon and wasn't ready for it. And I think that, um, you know, he's come back. He's got himself together. He's a very good driver. But is he ever going to get another chance in a top team? It's like the Hulk. You know, the Hulk should have been in the top team. But we, is he going to get the chance now? Don't know. Possibly not. Maybe, we, maybe with Renault. And see, at least with Sergio Perez, we'll always have that time he hilariously punted off Kimi Raikkonen and made Kimi Raikkonen mad at Monaco. Uh, but the Hulk is up against it as well because he now has the very, very talented and much-fancied Carlos Sainz up against him. So uh, that is a battle I'm really looking forward to. Uh, That's juicy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. It depends how much you rate Carlos Sainz, I suppose. Yeah. Loads! Clearly you do. I'm not, I, I'm reserving my judgment. We'll see. Ah, uh, your famous journalistic lack of bias. Can't help it. Born that way. Joe, thank you so much for your time. Obviously people can find you on Twitter at Joe Saywood, correct? And uh, go to find Joe Blogs F1 online. Click on your face to buy your super secret behind the scenes newsletter. Mm-hmm. And Grand Prix Plus, the magazine, of course. Six hours after the race, 90 odd pages of absolute amazing uh race reports and uh pictures we have lovely pictures too all right let's not talk about your pictures joe it's a family show no 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 it's peter nygaard of grand prix photo from copenhagen takes wonderful pictures and has been doing it for 30 years as well the three of us the three actually the four people involved in grand prix plus between us have more than 2000 grand prix so that's kind of scary do you want to plug their twitters as well to uh, I don't believe they have twins. <laughs> they're huh? older. They're older folks. I don't you know. understand. How do they make their political viewpoints known in an angry echo chamber? 
they they write for other things sometimes or they don't as the case may be joe it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on thank you so much for your time guys if uh, i haven't been too annoying you can also follow me at spanners ready if you fancy doing me a solid favor look at my pinned tweet I'm trying to encourage my nine-year-old nephew who has just made a Lego video on YouTube and is really discouraged by having had no views. So if you could see it in your heart to retweet that tweet, uh, click on it and give his little YouTube page a like, I would be very, very grateful. Until next time with the Malaysian Grand Prix. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What's it called? What, his YouTube video? Yeah. Oh, the thing is, when you search the YouTube video, it's just, he just called it Let's Build Lego. There are a million videos called... Let's so how, do you, how do you find it? So you go to the pin tweet at Spanners Ready. Thank you very much, Joe. And you click okay. that. The link is is there. Uh, he's very cute. He's northern, so that makes it even more sad. Oh, that that's it then. Not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, yeah, make his make his day. And I don't want him to be discouraged. I want to make him pick that camera up again. So I hope I see you all after the Malaysian Grand Prix Sunday, eight pm. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory last forever. This was Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. Come on, Joe, you know you want to rock out. No. That's a hard no, isn't it? That's a hard no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to be. Yeah, in me me youth. Love to have seen it. You must have been a punk, Joe. I was that era, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't pierce myself in any nasty positions. But there you are. All right. So uh, tell me how to do this Lego thing. I'll do it now. Oh, you're going to do it? Just go at Spanners Ready. That's me. Hang at on, Spanners Ready. Awfully complicated. At Spanners Ready on what though? Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 